You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Uh. Hi, everybody. It is November 9th. 2015, and we are your co-host, Bill, that's me, and Nancy, that's me, mm-hmm. Burns, and we are the co-host broadcasting live on Future Theater from Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Solberry Village, Pennsylvania, on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio with our producer, the great Angel Espino. Say hello, Angel. Hello, Angel. Hello, Angel. And tonight... Our guest is a former UFO magazine writer and Fate magazine writer, Scott Smith. That's right. So, there you That's go. That's right. And I thought tonight, and I want to give a shout out to our Overlord. Okay, on the on Lord the Overlord. Roland. Yeah, Lord Roland. And there's you been gotta, a lot. Just got to say it like that. Instead of like the Overlord, just say shout outs to Lord Roland. And and um, Art's been calling him something. Uh, it, on open lines last Friday, Art was calling him something. Dark Lord of the Sith. Dark Lord of the. Almost, almost. Yeah. I can't think of the exact words he was using, but he was, he was, it was something Roland. And I think to myself, I'm going to find. I do have that sound clip from Roland of Hollywood or Roland of Philadelphia, Ooh. whatever that. Sh- Bill knows. Bill knows. Well, I knows with Star Wars coming out soon. Uh, he's going to get more Star Wars references from me. Well, and I just want to say, uh, for Scott Smith tonight, I'm using a graphic from his website, right. which I couldn't resist because there's a little tiny penis on it. Whoa. Yeah, Whoa. a little tiny penis. It's adorable. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm sure the uh, the person attached to that little tiny penis does not think it's adorable. Well, that's Adam. The person attached is Adam. Yeah, that and explains a lot. What we're looking mm-hmm. at is the Sistine Chapel. Um, you know, when the hand of God is touching the hand of Adam. Whoa! Uh, I got a funny meme. I got a funny meme about that where it has God laughing at the genitals of Adam, and he's like, (laughs) "That's exactly right." It's It's like a very funny meme. I made that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So, so I thought, you know, a, a different thing we might do tonight in our first half hour is something I I very much like when other talk show hosts do it. And that's read a bit of, um, uh, okay. So am I News? echoing people say I'm echoing or yeah, should I worry? Fine. You sound fine. Okay. Yeah, you sound fine. Okay. Um, many talk show hosts, the good ones, they tell a little bit more about the guest sometimes than I like to do because the minute the guest comes on, we do our half hour of silly this first half hour, and then the guest comes on, and oftentimes I hate to waste five minutes on reading the resume. But I thought maybe tonight just a couple of words about Scott Smith because he's got an interesting background, and I think it it lends a lot of credibility to why his book called God Reconsidered. Reconsidered. Right, why his book over everybody else who writes books about what do we do? And and his subtitle is um, Searching for Truth in the Battle Between Atheism and Religion. Uh-huh. But the, what, what Scott brings to the writing process is so fabulous that I just thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about that a bit so that people could understand that you want to buy this book and you want to just absorb it because of the the really great nature of the writing and the fact of Scott Smith's background. 
and it's not what you would think. And that's why I think it's so exciting. He is a uh, freelance writer, okay? And some of the best writers who write the most um, easy-to-understand books on difficult topics are just all-around good business writers, and that's pretty much what Scott Smith, where he makes his daily living. And he has written for, uh, he says here, 1,300 articles in, in 175 publications, and that's always been to my mind, a heroic way of, to make a living because you've got to make spreadsheets or something, I guess, to keep track of who owes you what, you know? So I think that for a writer, that's a, being that kind of freelance is a, is a, is a cool thing. Okay. So, and there's Dead Silence guys. Well, right. here's the thing, Nancy, all- uh, <laughs> on Skywatchers, I don't even spend like a minute propping up my guests, so that's the most I've heard anybody mentioning no you do sometimes sometimes you'll read (laughs) you'll do it but i'll be like i'll be like this week we have uh so-and-so on now for some uh blast from the a-holes well you know what i have i have to i have to say um last week i was you know starting the show and i had made the mistake i made the big mistake of going over to a forum and looking for some information and coming across you know actual personal hatred for Uh my own Self live on the air, and so that's a rule I'm not going to break anymore. If I want to know who Art Bell's guest is going to be, I'm going to go to artbell.com and I'm going to find out that's that way. Best, that's the best way to, to search. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Why would you go anywhere else? Well, I just you know it's it's anyway. So I did that, and um, so I noticed you know Art Bell is the broadcaster the that. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he, when you listen to Art Bell, you think you can do the same thing. Every he's so <laughs> good. He's so natural in what he does that you think, oh, I can do that. And I noticed that one of the things he does consistently is read in a nice way uh, who the I guest is. I definitely do that, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. And he does a great job oh, every does, single yeah. night. Mm-hmm. So I sort of thought in this first half hour I would get in less trouble if I could, you know, read a little bit about who our guest is and so forth. And, and most importantly, Scott has written a book called The Soul of Your Pet. Before this book, he's written other books, but The Soul of Your Pet. I know, I know. And that's always been... But anyway, he was a writer for me for UFO Magazine long, long, long ago. and But not very consistent. He, he wrote a couple things <clears throat> and then kind of disappeared into, uh, I think, happier stomping grounds, higher up level of uh, magazines. <clears throat> but I have always admired his work. And I'm thrilled to have him on tonight because everything he says is well, well researched. Okay. And his book will help us all try to figure out how did we separate, how do we separate the concept of a greater being from all the religious teachings that we have all been inundated with? And the two are very separate, you see. Right. And, and he also makes the, um, intellectual attempt to find this rationale about UFOs and divinity. Right, right. Well, yes. And, of course, all the other woo-woo topics, he goes through all of them very carefully. And he just lays out a great, um, um, you know, for all the topics I care the most about, and I think every listener cares the most about, it's not just me, um, is there a God? I mean, it's the number one, it has to be the number one question. That is uh, the number one question, followed by, are there aliens out there? I guess would be number two. Are we yeah. alone in the universe? I mean, that is, I mean are we alone, period, is the mm-hmm. number one question. 
Yeah, it is. Well, and I think we're, what is we're, more built, we're built to ask this question. Right, but the question is, what is more plausible? Whether God exists or whether aliens exist. What is the plausible... Yeah. What is more plausible in this? Wait. That's, um, the, uh, that's the best question right there. I mean... No matter what way you look at it, though, Bill, you know, can you even guys, if there is, could you guys there is talk? aliens, it doesn't take away from the fact that there could be a god. Out, you know, That's right. Exactly. Out. Yeah. Okay. They're not um, mutually exclusive. Correct. Can you guys talk for a second? I've got to check something out. There's something weird going on. I'll be right back. Okay. We're doing, we were doing that anyway, but go ahead. Uh, so anyway, back to that, Bill. Uh, so like I was saying, it doesn't exclude the fact that there could be a God or, or the possibility that there could be a God just because they're aliens. Just like I've had this conversation, Bill, and you know this because I've brought it up before, where I've said many times that, you know, even if, uh, no matter how you want to describe him, uh, even if there is some kind of a God out there, he still is an alien by definition because he doesn't live on this terrestrial plane. So by the mere definition, there is no such other thing, but they're all aliens, even God. Right. I mean, uh, when you look at Genesis, mm -hmm. it is this collection of otherworldly figures that Correct. surrounds Adam, right? I mean, yeah. the, okay. uh, the, the okay, serpent, that was weird. The, what, what was it? Well, while we were talking, um, something scratched very aggressively with like a branch or something on the glass, or I thought somebody was, you know how people scratch on the glass before they open up your door and come in sometimes? So like what was it? Well, the motion, the motion lights didn't go on, but they're only oh. hooked up in the back. But I just went and locked everything and just oh, good. Okay. made faces at the windows. That was really scary. So, and, and did you guys solve the problem of God? That, well, was, see, that was probably God answering uh, us for, you know, making uh, such uh, bad comments about him. Saying he's maybe. Well, yeah. the, back well door, <laughs> the, the back door was locked, right? No, no, but right, it, it it's locked, locked now. It's locked now. But... <laughs> But were the, you scared, Nancy? Were, were, you, were you afraid? It, for it's pitch black out there. I mean, I you, would be terrified. It's so saying. dark out here. There's no light. I mean, it's not bad, but um, that would scare me. Well, well I am a little dry mouth, that's for sure. I will have some water. That's a little scary. <laughs> but um, because I never hear anything here. It's just so quiet. And nothing never, never touches our house itself. Something was touching the house itself. And I thought, you know, I thought someone was coming to visit, but, you know, they would knock. After you that. have maybe uh, branches outside might be hitting the uh, the windows or something. Maybe well, that's what I'm going to check in the morning for sure. That's probably what it was. That's what I'm hoping. I but, hope it's not a Sam squatch. Yeah, Sam squatch. Well, the, but see, I or you know, a bad squatch for that matter. Yeah, yeah. So, but you, you Angel, actually have said on air that you're an atheist. Yeah, I am a, a borderline uh, atheist. I'm actually more agnostic. I still kind of hold out for the possibility of something else greater than us, because if we're it, man is the universe screwed. Well, on the other hand, there's, there, there are magnificent examples among us. You could, if you wanted to, and you know, um, we'll talk when, when Scott comes on, this is the stuff we're going to talk about, but if you wanted to, you could just, you could find enlightening stuff to read on the internet instead of bad stuff. I could give you links um, <laughs> of pleasant places, you know, to check out you know, man's humanity toward man. And you can feel like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, there, there is some humanity uh, on this planet, but by the most part, it's not that great. Uh, you know, just... Uh, but here's the thing. When I say that I'm atheist, I'm talking about uh, I don't believe in religion at all, period. I don't believe in anything. Right. 
That's what I right. what, what I mean when I what, what I say I'm atheist. Doesn't doesn't mean that I don't believe that there could be some kind of higher higher power, some kind of energy field, some kind of force, a god, something that controls everything. I, you know, I don't, I don't mean it like that because there could be. I, I'm not I'm I'm not that person who's seen. Well, it. logic tells so, you logic tells you there probably is. Just no, actually, logic logic like tells me. me. Yeah, no, actually, logic tells me that, that we're probably here just by chance. Really. Yeah, just by a coincidence. You know, a lot of things just happen over billions of years, and whoopsie, yeah, humans. But I think the greatest gift we're given is the ability to have some kind of instinct, no matter how crushed it is by modern living. And it seems to me that when something kind of makes you feel better, makes you happy, it is life-affirming for you, and you should probably follow it. Not manic weirdness when that comes from crazy stuff, but some of the right, truth right. makes you happy. And it makes me happy to think that there is, is some enormous um, wonder beyond this life that you can kind of touch upon by doing research or meditation, or you could find at the end of the rainbow when you're done. So if that makes me happy. And if it's completely zero, it won't have hurt that I went through life happy. Well, <laughs> here's, fun, here's something funny. So uh, I'm, I'm working with Joel Morton on this book about Thomas Edison. So we're in this chapter, and one of the people about whom Joel writes who influenced Thomas Edison was the French, the 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal. Mm-hmm. And he's ta- and he's writing about Blaise Pascal as a genius, and he was like a child prodigy, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I wanted to add to the chapter, but I didn't add something pertinent that really responds to what Angel just said. It's called Pascal's Bet, and Pascal seems like a very smart guy. Century in France, and and he wrote he wrote he said if you're a betting person. Your odds are greater. I mean, your odds are more in your favor betting on the existence of God. And here's, the, and here's his rationale. He said, if you don't believe in God and there is no God, well, the best you get is there is no God. If you don't believe in God and there is a God and don't follow the precepts that derive from believing in God, boy, are you in trouble. So right. the best you get is there is no God. The worst you get is, boy, you're in trouble. Yeah, but here's, he where, said, I, here, here's where I circumvent that, uh, Bill. Yeah, if God is all loving, he'll forgive my ignorance. Well, and, but here's the second uh-huh. part. Here's the second part uh-huh. of that bet. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get you, but here's the second part of that bet. If there is, if you do believe in God and there is no God, the worst you get is the same as the best you get if you don't believe in God. If you do believe in God and there is a God, boy, look at the reward. So the upside is tremendous reward. The downside is you're really in trouble. But if you don't believe in God, it doesn't really matter. I mean, that's the best you get. So he's saying just logic alone tells you you should believe in God. And still I'm atheist. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, as as the Internet opens up the world of forbidden books to people, and it really does. Um, it does. You can f- it really does. I mean, mm-hmm. I am astounded. Uh, and that's another thing I want to, you know, I want to put on the table about Scott. 
his book is all about God and religion and atheism and other things like that. But he is married to a, a, a woman who is a witch, okay, which means that she practices the old religion or paganism, which is not covered in Scott's book, I don't think. I have not gotten all the way to the end. I've gotten about, sadly, not, 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 not enough to know whether he brings up paganism she or paganism. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's not a book. It's a book that's very hard to skip parts of, you know, ah. because you're learning something almost every paragraph. So there's that. But the parts, you know, um, but I can vouch for what he says in the UFO chapters. I mean, he has really done his research. Um, and and he's interviewed people like Yuri Geller and can tell the story about that. And um, a fellow named Scott Rogo, I want to find out more about that, who was a parapsychologist who was murdered a little past the interview I was got. So I want to talk about stuff like that, you see. Um, there was some point. Anyway, I'm trying, I'm trying to, yeah, eh, yeah, I've lost it. Because I'm, I'm playing around <laughs> as I do. <sighs> yeah. No interrupting tonight. That was, that's my, my goal. That's the goal, really? That's my goal. It could happen. I no, believe in you, Nancy. No, I believe in her. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Honestly, it could happen. Really <laughs> yeah. One of the great conversations about interruptions, I have to say, probably the best I've ever heard, uh, took place between uh, on MSNBC between Chris Matthews and Rachel Maddow. I didn't and see this. I'm, it was I interrupt a great, <laughs> a gr- <laughs> It was a great conversation about interruptions because one of the things that um, Chris Matthews Chris Matthews is an interrupter. He'll ask a question, somebody starts to answer the question, and Matthews interrupts something like eight times during an answer, always hitting the person. And so he remarked to Rachel, because he noticed that, gee, I'm really impressed at the way you interject your thoughts. And Rachel said, what I do is I wait until I hear a natural period in a sentence and then speak. But I don't stop a person from speaking mid-answer. And so the two of them are jockeying about their respective interview styles. And I was thinking about that because um, when you listen to a Rachel Maddow interview, she will let you go on and actually hang yourself. Whereas Chris Matthews will be lashing you with a whip as you answer mm-hmm. to turn around and answer him for each new thought that comes into his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and um, I've been justly criticized for saying, well, this comes from being coming from Philly, like uh, Chris Matthews. Um, people in Philly do interrupt each other, and we enjoy it in a bar or something where everybody's sitting around or a family gathering. But it's not good radio. Uh, uh, but the thing about the Rachel Maddow thing about waiting for the period in a sentence is that in this Skype world that we're in, oftentimes. I don't hear the other person starting or the other person doesn't hear me starting, so forth. And we always clash. Many people just overlook that as they listen to the radio show. They know that's the the fact, but sometimes people get really irritated by it. So I point that out. And Lou pointed out to me that I was talking about Scott's wife being a witch. That was where I got myself derailed because I have so many questions um, as I look into that, as the Internet of Forbidden Books kind of opens up and you realize, my goodness, religions are more um, cultural 
manifestos than they are seeking God. It's more religion tells you how to act in society, not so much finding God in your own little way. So I find that, you know, particularly well, re- Christian religions, religions. I'll tell you what, religions, they love the ignorant. That's the, that's the main thing. What uh, do you mean? It, 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 they prey on the ignorant, the people who cannot, uh, you know, have a belief of their own. They have to be told to believe in something. That's the, the main thing I, I have against religion is that, you, you know, you're told this is the, the way things are. Uh, for example, there's a guy down here in Florida whose name is Jose Sus Miranda de la Cruz. I don't know his long name. Uh, right. He claims to be Jesus resurrected. And this guy has been going around for years now claiming to be the new Jesus. Not that, not that he's just a Jesus, uh, you know, uh, the spirit. No, no, he's the actual Jesus from 2,000 years ago, resurrected in, in mm-hmm. Puerto Rican. Because if Jesus is going to come back to earth, he's going to come back as a Puerto Rican. That's just the way it is. So mm-hmm. he comes back as a Puerto Rican. He's been to jail. The guy claims to be Jesus. Guess what? He has a huge following here in Florida. Has his own church. Okay, well, people believe this guy. The ignorance of people is why f- religions are fueled and why they continue on for s- the last two, three thousand years, five thousand years, whatever it is. Yeah, because but religions are full of people something. who are very thoughtful people, very highly intelligent people. They they also go to religion at least as a starting point. In yeah, fact, yeah. for lots and lots of war, uh, centuries, uh, the lecture you got from your pastor or your priest or whatever was the only long-form intellectual dialogue you'd hear all week. You, people just didn't get... Um, That's pre-internet. That's when man was really yeah. internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but the by fact the way, is... Uh, but, yeah. By the way, look, look, and not to offend anybody, because everybody has the right to believe in whatever you want to believe. You know, Believe whatever you want. But, you know, the thing is with me, I just I, I see through the facade, man. I see through the, the baloney, you know, and it just it, it smells really bad when it comes to all religions. Not just one. Not picking just one, all of them. Well, I, I'm sad to I'm sad to tell you that literally, um, until I was a certain age, grown up basically, I was 100 percent immersed in the Catholic Church. I mean, I didn't even think of thinking outside the box because it was a sin to do that, and it was only the fact that I sort of wanted to get divorced that it all kind of became something that became sort of like a Chinese menu religion. I'll take two from, you know. And that's when you kind of begin to lose your own way because you've, you've right. fundamentally said, I can't abide by the, 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 the critical rule, you know. And there are many, but some of the critical rules. And, now, m- they've mo- and now they've modified that rule. One of, the, of things, that's the things Pope Francis did, that whole rule is now modified. But that doesn't help you if you feel you have turned your back on your main religion. It, it doesn't help you feel any better that the main religion changed. But for me, it was the meat on Friday thing that they took away. And then it was the uh, stop doing Latin thing because I was raised in the church in which it was all Latin. Priest was had his back to you. It was a very ornate ceremony with lots of incense. And you couldn't eat meat on Friday. And you had to wait, I believe, 24 hours or 12 hours after you couldn't eat dinner. Or, you know, you had this. Be, See, that's the, that's the thing. I, I don't need a pedophile in a dress telling me what to eat or what not to eat. I don't need that. Thank you very much. If I want well, to eat meat on a Friday, I'm going to eat meat on a Friday. Yeah, but Angel, if you if there were pro, uh, pro- prosecution in our country and you were going to get in trouble for not being in a religion, then you would 100% be in that religion. Oh, I'd be right? in the gas chamber right now. I'd, no, I'd be uh, probably electrocuted because I, I would not conform. No way, no how, Nancy Burns. Really? Not happening. Really? Not happening. Not happening. 
Wow. Lead me to the slaughter. I'd rather die. Wow. It's easy to say in a in a absolutely completely free, easy free to say. Right. <laughs> if, if, yeah, exactly. If, in reality, I'd probably be like, God is great. God is fantastic. What, what religion am I in? I'm, I'll be Mormon. Well, have you ever decided to explore not religion per se, but what what the people call spiritualism or searching for God in all the right places? Have you have you, <laughs> <laughs> have you looked for that yet? Uh, yeah, of, of of course. I spent years looking for my own spiritualisms, and all I found was emptinisms. And so far, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm always looking for miracles, <laughs> and I think um, the best that my but life has. Has I live, I, look, here's the thing, Nancy. I live my life, you know, happy. Even though I, this is my belief, I live my life at peace because I know when I die, it'll just be over. There's nothing that I have to worry about. I mean, there's—I no, don't think there's going to be any afterlife. I don't think no heaven nor hell. You know, I well, don't want to go to heaven either that's way. What because, Scott, uh, that's part of what Scott's going to be talking about here's tonight. The thing. Because here's the thing. he's talking about the proof of the afterlife. Well, here's the thing. I don't—I don't even want to go to heaven. If, if that's even an option, I don't want the option. Heaven is boring. I mean, what happens when you die? You see your relatives, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles. Great, you spend eternity with your relative, relatives that bored you to the death when you were alive. No thanks. I mean, there's something cool to do in heaven. You think like nightclubs or anything? No. No, they don't, they're not going to have any other good stuff up there. So I don't even want the option. Just uh, empty darkness. That's all I want for eternity. Oh. It's great. Well, it's peaceful. Well, <laughs> you know, you're, you are ripe for a UFO sighting or a, a leprechaun or I'm something. I'm itching for one, Nancy. I'm yeah, you're ripe for, for it. <laughs> I'm itching for it. Uh, here's the thing, Doug, and, and this is what always gets me about uh, religious people because, you know, I live my life in peace because that's my belief, right? That's my belief system. You know, you religious people out there, you've you got to be careful because, the way you know, when the uh, cookies are crumbling and you're really old and you're sick, you start remembering all the bad things you've done, and, you, and then it becomes real to you. You're like, oh, man, this is not going to be good. Right. This cannot be good because you're going to start remembering all the dirt you did in the past, and then you are going to have that in your mind going, you know, going crazy because you're going to remember that you probably belong in hell because a lot of people but, have done that. Now you are now you are Bill. I'm talking about in general. No, but live. according no, but according okay. to the Catholic Church, if that's exactly what you have in your mind at the moment of your death, you are redeemed. See, if that's that's exactly what you're well, it doesn't about. exactly go that way. Sadly, it's a <laughs> little more superstitious. It 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 is said in the Catholic Church that if you will recite the Apostles' Creed, not the Lord's Prayer, not the Hail Mary, the Apostles' Creed, you will be washed of all your sins immediately. And for the longest time, I tried to memorize that darn thing, but I just now memorized Bill's phone number. After all these many years. And so it takes me a long time to memorize something important. And I do not have the Apostles' Creed uh, in my memory. And now I've lost that piece of faith that it would work. Well, well what is the prayer that says, uh, what is the name of the prayer that says, Holy Mary, Mother of God, be with us now and at the moment of our death? That's the Hail Mary. That's the Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. That's the and most it's a great, beloved, and it's a great pass in the NFL too, the Hail Mary pass. But you know what else? It's the most one of the most beloved prayers on the planet among people that I know, normal, ordinary Catholics, ordinary people under stress. The Hail Mary is just a beloved prayer, and you'll always see people praying the Hail Mary when they're crouched in a catacomb, or crouched in a bomb shelter, or crouched, you know, in a ditch, and the bad people are coming. They pray the Hail Mary. Uh, it's short and sweet, and you can keep repeating it, and it's very much, which tells me that a prayer to the Blessed Mother is really important to Catholics, and, you know, that's where uh, 
not to go too far afield, that's where the pagan religions really separate from the all the mainstream religions. I come to see the pagan religions like goddesses and gods together on equal footing. And all the mainstream religions only have a male god. Big difference in the world. Just saying. Yeah, but that only happened, Nancy, because man didn't want to worship women. So they wanted to only worship men back then because they women were inferior to men. Well, so, it's know, all worse. the gods it's have to be worse. men. No, it's worse. It's way worse. I, I've said this before. I don't mean to be mean, but if you're primitive and you're only looking at outside things, women have way more power than men. Um, they're, you know, they bleed without hurting once a month. They can can carry a, a suddenly growing belly, and the child mm. comes out perfect replica, and you can nurse it until you find out about sperm. Men are like, whoa, whatever. You know? And, of course, in the Bible, it was Eve the goddess in this whole mess, which, again, furthers the, uh, the quote that I heard in a movie once, never trust anything that bleeds for five days and doesn't die. Right, and that's all against women because women are yes. so powerful. And, and so the thing about it is why not harness that power instead of trying to get rid of it, wipe it off the face of the earth? Why not harness it? And that's where I think that's why I want to have Scott on. I think Scott's book is going to help us piece this all together. In fact, he uses the concept of piecing it all together. I don't know. Uh, Danny, uh, you're sitting there. Uh, Danny's my uh, producing sidekick, as everybody knows. Uh, Danny, you've been taking notes. Uh, what do you think of uh, the conversation we're having here? Yeah. Danny. Howdy. Uh, I think it's a very interesting conversation, and there is probably a lot of varied opinions on this issue uh, amongst the listeners, but um, I like where you guys are going. Now, was that Apollo Creed you said? Apollo Creed. No, the no, Apollo. no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. Great movie coming out this year by the Creed. That's right. Way to see it. Yes, there was a whole other movie. Yeah, wow. indeed. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it's a Rocky, it's a Rocky sequel. Another the Rocky movie, movie. yeah. What That's a Rocky? great name, and I didn't put two and two together. Do you know what that you, means? Do you know why the, the movie's called Creed, though, Nancy? No, why? Uh, Apollo, why? which is the guy he, he boxes in the first two movies, you know, the, the black dude in the first two movies. Right, right. Uh, Apollo Creed. His son comes back many years later trying to become a boxer, and he goes to Rocky to train him since he was actually uh, he was in his mother's womb in uh, Rocky during Rocky IV when Apollo gets killed in the ring. Ah. Uh, so since she, his, uh, Apollo's wife was pregnant with him that night, he's, he never met his father. He always had a, he had a really rough childhood, and he wants to be a boxer like his father so he could live up to that legacy. So he goes to Sylvester Stallone and Rocky Balboa to train him. And it's like Rocky all over again, but now with Apollo's kid. It's, it looks well, awesome. Looks great. It really does. It's going to be a great movie. Uh, speaking of Rocky IV, um, it, it turns out that Dolph Lundgren has a genius IQ. I've there was an this, article yes. of yep. all the movie stars really? that have genius IQs. Yeah, yep, Dolph yep. Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren, David Duchovny, um, and a few others. Um, uh-huh. James Woods is like off the charts with an IQ. And both Duchovny and Woods are known to have other things that are ultra big as well, beside their brains. Oh, what's Whoa. that, Nancy? Yeah, what? <laughs> what was that, Nancy? <laughs> it's the all-penis show tonight with Adam, poor Adam, on the uh, cover. No, but they, but, but Duchovny and uh, who was the other guy? Um, uh, Dolph. James Woods. Yeah, oh, James, James Woods. Woods. James yeah. Woods, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can you can find anything on the internet. Let's just say that. Yeah. yeah. You can yeah. kind of tell James Woods is working with a high IQ from his uh, 
from you know who who has to be genius level like you just I mean absolute genius yeah who Christopher Walken well maybe why do you say this it's the way he speaks the way he puts sentences together he's the cock of the walk you know he's a man well James Woods yeah and it needs more accounts he's got a, he's got a style of all all the time I got a fever well, I've got a um, fever for more cowbell. <laughs> and have you guys have you guys ever heard of a movie called The Boost? I've said this uh, before. I'm pushing it. The Boost, worst movie ever made. Oh, uh, guys, hate the movie. Hate it. It's like Mommy Dearest in terms of camp. You know, of over the top crazy. James Woods is so good in The Boost and so bad at the same time. It's a Christopher Walken kind of performance. It's worth seeing the boost. Um, I'd watch anything the, with Christopher Walken, to be honest with you. Anything. This is no, but this is James Woods, not Christopher. And with James Woods, I'd watch yeah. anything with James Woods. Also. Awesome. And I love uh, Rockwell, Sam Sam Rockwell. Oh, he's yeah. awesome. He's, yeah, I love him. Love him. Yeah, always look at him. He doesn't do enough movies, as far as no. I'm concerned. He yeah. was great in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. Didn't love him in that. I oh, like. I loved him. Him. Better in other things like Moon. Bebop, like Brox. Yeah. Yeah. I think Great it's name. getting time for our little break, I believe. It, it is. I was just going to say that brings it us is, right up is. to our first commercial. So uh, please, folks, stay with us for these important messages and stay with us as we bring in our guest, Scott yes. Smith, after we come back from our first break. Wait, 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 wait. Did you guys. Where he is going to strain us out on religion. Right, but did Danny want to say something else? Danny, you got anything else to say? Oh, yeah. uh, Before Future Theater, uh, well, let's see, Monday nights are... uh, Oh, yeah, free plug, free plug, right, Danny. Yeah, Monday nights are what I would call uh, on Dark Matter, uh, Dark Matter Digital. Uh, That's a knockout night. We have uh, Mac Maloney, who is Mac Maloney, uh, military ex-files, who's joined the show. And then we have Future he's Theater. Joined the network. Yeah, he's joined, joined the network. Joined yeah. the network. And yeah. then we have Future Theater. That's wow. right. Yeah. And so, then, we, so it's going to be Mac Maloney's Military X-Files, Future Theater, Art Bell, Bell. and then Richard Hoagland. Oh, my God. It does not get any better than this. It, can't, it does not. F-I-S. I am shimmering. I am shimmering with, with just hope and expectation as I contemplate this. Everybody's I am, and I am this. silent with misery. I'm just shaking him up. Yeah, I'm just silent. <laughs> silent with too much. Too much. Go ahead, it's Bill. Gonna, Take it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so we are your co-hosts, Bill and Nancy Burns, saying to you, we will be back after these messages on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio with our guest, Scott Smith. I will see you on the other side. The UFO phenomenon, either we like it or not, is already very much part of our reality. I've been on panels with uh, military people who, you know, claim that they've seen the aliens buzzing our missile silos. They have very large eyes. You know, I found their stare extremely difficult to bear. This is Martin Willis, the host of Podcast UFO, and we are here on the Dark Matter Radio Network every Wednesday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is my commitment to bring you an entertaining weekly show that takes a hard look at the UFO phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial? Well, are they interdimensional? Are they time travelers or something we have not even thought of yet? 
We explore these questions with interesting guests and witnesses from all around the globe. In addition, we bring you weekly UFO news with Open Minds TV, Alejandro Rojas. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep your eyes to the sky. This is James Swagger, host of Capricorn Radio. I'm also an author, engineer, and researcher. Capricorn Radio covers alternative history, alternative science, philosophy, truth, orientated discussions. We are proud to be on the Dark Matter Radio Network, live at 8pm Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch extra info on darkmatterradio.net, jameswagger.com for yours truly, and capricornmembers.com for the archives. Don't forget, truth is not democratic, truth is truth. My name is Howard Hughes, and I'm in London, and I've been proud to bear this name all my life. Over here in the UK, I'm known as a broadcast journalist. I've been involved in some of the big stories of our time. The fall of the Berlin Wall. The death of Princess Diana. I told London about that. And on the first and second anniversaries of 9-11, I was there at Ground Zero, speaking to the people who were directly involved and those experiences I will never forget. So news is my thing. But my great love is my show, the one that I produce, The Unexplained. Over the years on this show, I've spoken to people like the late Al Bielik from the Philadelphia Experiment, Edgar Mitchell, the amazing Apollo astronaut, Dr. Stephen Greer, David Icke, and Uri Geller. People like Richard C. Hoagland have become personal friends over the years. I met him in London. So you can see that these sort of topics are what I like to discuss. Please join me on my show from London. The Unexplained, Monday nights on the Dark Matter Network. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. And we're back on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio with our guest, the esteemed Scott Smith, author of countless number of articles 
and two very important books. So, Scott, thank you for joining us tonight. Good to hear your voice again. And um, looking forward to hearing about your latest book. Indeed. I'm uh, glad to see your new adventure and happy to participate. Great. Great. Well, uh, uh, do you remember at all working for UFO Magazine? Absolutely, yeah. I um, went down to your office and uh, talked to you guys and wrote a few articles um, for uh, Don and Vicky before that and mm-hmm. uh, had a, a minor career between that and Fate Magazine and tracking down and reporting on strange events. That's right, that's right. And... Um, uh, so how did you come to, to write such an unusual book, uh, God Reconsidered, if your background is mostly, let's say, business writing? <laughs> yes, and I do stress that because I want people to understand that many of us who are trying to take a serious look at the paranormal and UFOs and supernatural, uh, we're not crazy. We're attempting to shine a light on something that tends to be dismissed by the professional skeptics and debunkers who, in my experience, are as irrational as any evangelical fundamentalist. So I have a background. Uh, I actually reported on the war in Northern Ireland. Uh, I've uh, written, believe it or not, for the funeral industries and and high-tech trade magazines. And in the last 20 years, mostly what I've been doing is interviewing people like uh, Bill Gates and Michael Dell and Meg Whitman on what they learned uh, on how to be successful and share that with entrepreneurs. And I have a, a column in Investor's Business Daily. So I'm very much rooted to the ground uh, and I don't uh, have a lot of ghost sightings personally. But when I first started out in the late 80s looking at these things, specifically UFOs, Mm -hmm. um, I began to realize there was something serious here, and it really deserves some kind of investigatorial, uh, objective, journalistic attention. Mm -hmm. So I began a whole series of interviews and articles, first for Fate Magazine, then for UFO Magazine and some other publications, and I uh, got to know the skeptics pretty well. And um, so that kind of led me at the end of this road a year ago to write this book, uh, which uh, there's a, a free chapter, incidentally. I think it's on UFOs right now. Right, right, God it is. Reconsidered.com, because I wanted to kind of go back to zero on the question of God, the supernatural, what the truth is, and kind of build from ground up what I had learned, where it took me, and how one could come to an understanding about the way the universe works, metaphysics, and the big questions of philosophy. So that was kind of the goal of the book. Well, what happened to you in January 1989? Yeah, I mentioned in passing and not in great detail, Mm -hmm. Uh, a mystical experience I had, which came about in part because of cognitive dissonance between my background. I grew up Mormon and relatively uh, conventional uh, religiously, 
and I had started to study UFOs just for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some extra time between projects, but the deeper I got into it, the more I realized this had very serious implications for religion. And I was a regular speaker at Mormon conferences uh, on some pretty uh, fringe type of things. The conference was pretty open-minded. But when I proposed talking about how the UFO should be perceived by Mormons, what would be Mm -hmm. the theories behind this, they rejected it. It was the first time in like 15 years that I had a topic rejected. And the deeper I got into this um, with the abduction phenomenon, I did a, a, a story originally intended for Los Angeles Magazine that ended up in UFO Magazine on UFOs in L.A. And I talked to some people who had removed implants. I talked to an abductee and came to believe that uh, this was pretty serious, and it had religious implications. Uh, Scott Rogo's Miracles, for example, he talks mm-hmm. about the fact that in many of the visions of the Virgin Mary, there's a little silver shiny disc right next to the uh, alleged Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. And um, so I this created a kind of a, uh, an atom smashing in my head, led to a, a mystical experience in which I had direct knowledge of what I would call the, the fundamental dualistic nature of the cosmos in terms of uh, the... Uh, whether there is a God, whether God is good, and what our purpose is here. And I Mm. didn't really understand it at the time, but that was kind of the genesis for the spiritual search that took me around the world. Well, when you say it lasted several hours, was it a fever? Like, was it the result of, say, a fever? It was an Um, altered state, not a fever, but it was definitely a sense of of uh, something physically different. And, and incidentally, one, one of the odd triggers for it could have been that it was the coldest day I've ever experienced in California. There was I lived in Thousand Oaks at the time, and there was actually snow on the ground, which I don't mm-hmm. think I'd ever wow. seen before in the suburbs. And, um, and I started shaking and could not stop shaking uh, for a couple of hours prior to this happening. But... There could be a variety of factors in it, and um, I. But the bottom line was that it was a definitely a mystical experience, not drugs, mm-hmm. not nor not simply an intellectual intuition. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really understand it for a long time after that, maybe fifteen years or so. Well, when you uh, had you been a meditator at that point in your life? Yes, I had um, be, because I was. Um, a journalist and writing about a lot of things. I uh, did the fire walk with Tony Robbins and I did TM and, you know, mm. tried to uh, write about these things. Uh, I was an editor of Vegetarian Times and I wrote about uh, a number of kind of new agey sorts of things, went up to Esalen. And uh, the the bottom line was um, I had meditated and had some really interesting experiences. What I found is that my mind became magnetized to uh, synchronicities and strange coincidences quite 
prominently in my journalism career. Um, you know, people have kind of shown up right when I needed them. I was able to meet some really fascinating people while I was writing for um, Fate Magazine and UFO and so forth. So that's basically what the manifestation was for medication for me, was it was it turned my mind into a magnet for whatever it was that I needed, essentially. Mm. Well, in the case of the mystical experience, um, have you ever, ever read about Philip K. Dick and how yeah. this, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, he's, a, he's definitely one of kind of the archetypal, if rather eccentric and, pretty strange um, examples of mm. kind of Gnosticism in modern literature. And, well, uh, I'm glad you said that. Can you explain to us or to me Gnosticism for, say, a modern Catholic who's never really yeah. figured it out? Right, right. And, and a great deal of what we know about the Gnostics up until the ni- late 1970s really came from the Church Fathers who wrote about them, you know, uh, Irenaeus, for example, uh, I think wrote on heresies and so forth. Um, and, you know, some of it was fair and some of it wasn't. But here, here's the essence of it. And I've kind of looked at this from all sides. And I, and I, I'm not, there, there is no such thing as modern Gnostic orthodoxy. There's no right. Pope and so forth. But the, and, and I think many of the Gnostics kind of misconstrue, you know, what it's really about. But the essence of it is this. Number one is that you can have uh, direct uh, revelation and experience uh, to know the nature of reality. And the reality is that this world we're living in is not designed by a benevolent God. Hmm. Uh, The Gnostics distinguish between the high God, who is the impersonal God behind the order of the universe that most of the quantum physicists came to believe. And Anthony Flew, who kind of invented modern atheism, has converted to this idea, a little bit like uh, the, the, de- the deist God, you might say. Right, um, I was going to say, this sounds very yeah. 17th century to me. Yeah, yeah. Now, the difference would be somewhat in that um, the deists believed that that god had not just wound up the universe, but basically somehow uh, created the world and then, you know, left it alone and walked off. What, what the Gnostics, yeah, what the Gnostics say is that this world is an act as a cosmic accident, and the result of that is that there was a being who came out of this accident known as the Demiurge who believes that he is the god of this world. He brought it together and created it. He, there's a number of theories about um, how he got the soul stuff or the souls to inhabit the bodies, but the bottom line is he does not recognize a supernatural dimension from his point of view. He so he, he, he would be a story. devil figure? Yeah, he would be the equivalent to the Christian devil. But the difference is that he is, in the Gnostic view, the god of the Old Testament. Uh, Gnostics regard, if you look at the Old Testament and contrast it with the New Testament, 
God doesn't seem to be the same person. I mean, God is loving and benevolent in the New Testament. Jehovah is jealous, petty, mean, vengeful, orders genocide. You couldn't get a much different God. Now, people have ways of trying to reconcile this, of course. Um, but well, the church tried to reconcile with the church. That was the whole point of the church. That was the whole point of... The manifestation of Jesus was to reconcile those two, is this a God of justice or is this a God of forgiveness? Because in a world where there's a God of justice, then justice rules, and that's what Moses said. That was Moses' characterization of the um, principles of God. He said that it's justice, justice is what you shall have, and he keeps saying justice, whereas it's very unjust in the world of the New Testament where even the worst sinner who basically led a life of complete horror can simply have true experience, true contrition, ask for forgiveness, and gain salvation. Hmm. So that's like the parable of the vineyard. The first shall be the last and the last shall be the first. And that's a very unfair, unjust universe. Yeah, and we would say going beyond that, Gnostics would say that, first of all, we recognize that in the orthodox teaching of atonement uh, and the the idea of the crucifixion and forgiveness of sins and all these, there there are some very powerful and useful and, ben- and beneficial uh, psychological, spiritual uh, aspects to that. However... The As I explain in Chapter 5 in the book, and it's, the book is divided into four sections addressing kind of different levels of these issues, the problem is that when you think really, really carefully about it, forget for the moment about sin and worthiness, but if you think about the purpose of mortal life, uh, it really doesn't make a lot of sense for us to be sent here by a benevolent God. And part of the reason people buy into the idea that God of this world is good is because they don't know much about history. They're not aware that there was a 50% infant mortality rate up until about 200 years ago. Uh, They're not even aware today, you know, the extent to which if you look at the 70 billion people who have ever lived, most of them had brief, unenlightened lives. And uh, the the notion that, that, you know, that this world is somehow a great test of our free will so that we can decide whether to be good or bad, the, the deeper you get into all the different psychological disorders, all the uh, family dysfunctions, uh, all the diseases and everything, not to mention the fact that we spend a third of our lives sleeping and the rest of it playing video games or you know, working on some engineering project that has nothing to do with the hereafter, it really breaks down when you get into it. Now, I warn people do not read God Reconsidered unless you really do want to reconsider your spiritual path. It is not aimed at people who are happy with whatever their orthodoxy is. And incidentally, I have been in Riyadh 
I have been in Uzbekistan. I've gone to the Shinto and Buddhist temples and talked to priests and so forth in Japan. I've traveled the world. I've been to Esalen Institute, talked to Michael Murphy and George Leonard when he was alive. I've had a lot of opportunities to try to get answers to the big questions from all the traditions. And I found all mainstream religious traditions don't have adequate answers to what the extent to which there is suffering and why we're here on earth. So that led me to Gnosticism for reasons that I go into at the very end of the book. Yeah, well, and I would, I would, I would definitely... Uh advise people do not think you can skip to the end read the last <laughs> chapter and catch up because you're stuck you're in, that's not going to work just it's a it's brilliant of, it's brilliant and it makes you want to read the book so well one of the most telling statements to me about that points to what you just said about human suffering and why is why is the state of things the way the state of things is um my rabbi in california in um, over in um, Mar Vista, uh, his his granddaughter, tiny granddaughter, was um, killed by a bus in Israel. It was an accident. The, the driver pulled away. She was un, uh, in front of the bus, and so obviously there's this moment of extreme bitterness, especially if you're a, uh, an important rabbi in El. Uh, I'm saying in L.A., but especially if you're an important rabbi and a scholar, where you say, why me? There is obviously that human moment of asking, why did this happen to me? Why did, why did this happen to her? But why did it happen to me? I mean, that's the most unfair thing I can possibly imagine. And so his response to that, which was very enlightened, his response, Hello? Yeah, we lost Bill. Bill, you there? I've totally cool. lost Bill, too. Yeah, We've all having, lost Bill. He's, he's yeah. having terrible he's, connection issues. Okay, I will but, I will. But bring... we're not lost, so. No, yeah, everybody else sounds fine. Yeah. yeah. And also, um, one of our listeners is reporting that there's hissing on the line, so we'll worry about that, too. I don't know whether that's, that's also, no. that was on That was on Bill. Bill's end. Bill, you there? Yeah, that was Bill's. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That's a mine. I keep... Or, or maybe, or maybe it's reason. the satanic snake who's descending. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It could be. That's possibly. Well, you left us off at the actual end of the story where the moral or, mm-hmm. or a good thought comes out. <laughs> well, right, we'll right, right. And there he goes again. There's no good thoughts, Nancy. That's what it is. There's no good morals. No, no you wait thoughts. and see. You <laughs> wait and see. No, so okay. this, particular rabbi, no, this particular rabbi said, um, uh-huh. why would I want to believe in a God whom I can fully understand? The whole point of the mystery is you. Okay, Bill's uh, Bill, reboot your computer. Let's just have that. Nancy, you don't have to reboot his computer. Um, to do that, I'd have to leave the console here. All right, don't don't do that, Nancy. Don't and do that, but because um, <laughs> he's not reading the Skype either, we could That's tell Bill to reboot. Back. But for Bill to reboot, we'll take about five minutes. So during the break, Bill will reboot. Perhaps That's he never idea. does. He never does. That's I the main. Uh, I think. Yeah, you're right. Bill, in fact, why don't you join us once you reboot the computer? Yeah, go ahead and reboot. Yeah. There you go. go just and go reboot, that. Bill. Go yeah. reboot the I, computer. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Good. Before, so I, before how long? 
That is the question for how long? Yeah, but see, he'll do anything not to reboot. So he'll he'll his his strength of will. And I think you know we're we're laughing, but there are people who are very good with machines and people who are not. And Scott yes, knows yes. this for a fact because he studied this. You see. Yeah, it's uh you know the black thumb uh, thing. You know what's ironic about it is that I'm terrible with technology, so of course they assign me all the tech stories. Oh, with good. The CEOs, you know Michael Dell and Larry. Uh, well, Oracle you you Allison. interviewed um, you interviewed Dean Radin, who basically oh yes, right, right. That was um, I did. I first interviewed him when his book came out, uh, The Conscious Universe, which is a masterpiece right. of sh- exposing the irrationality of the so-called skeptics, who are no different from any fanatical evangelical. I've dealt with these guys for years. They will do anything. And incidentally, the you know the the Skeptical Inquirer refused to review the book at all. And oh. of course, Michael Shermer's the skeptic uh, dismissed it in a couple of paragraphs. You know, uh, Shermer's very clever that way. He's much more subtle than the the other guys. But the the bottom line is that Dean Radin was a a very hard oriented engineer at Bell Labs, you know, um, didn't believe in any of this wacky stuff. And the more he started to study it, the more he realized that there were hundreds of uh, double-blind clinical studies on ESP to the point where researchers in the field said there's no point in trying to prove it anymore. It's been proven many times over. Let's move on to the application. Right. But Basically, Raiden was excommunicated from the university because, you know, he came out of the closet with this stuff, with this book, and his colleagues were horrified. Well, that was Princeton University and Pear. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, and Stanford, which I'm dealing with right now, um, which is where the SRI labs uh, really came out of that tested Uri Geller, who I met. And, yeah, there's, um, Scott, again, Scott Rogo's got a a great book out that... um, called um, Psychic uh, Research Today or something like that. and um, Psychic Breakthroughs and Today. Yeah, yeah, Breakthrough Today, yeah. It's a great book because he talks about how these um, phony skeptics uh, twist all the evidence to, uh, when you go back to the original sources, as I did when I wrote the book on the UFO chapter, for example, you realize, wow, these guys must realize that they're lying, but they're doing it for a religious reason, which is they, they're the Pope on UFOs or whatever the subject is, and they do not want to disillusion the true believers, you know, at the bottom of the group. So it's amazing. Right, because they would lose their jobs, among other things. And yeah. Shermer, Michael Shermer makes me just crazy. But um, tell us yep. a little bit about Scott Rogo, because he yeah. you mentioned that he was murdered a couple of months after you interviewed him. Yeah, he basically didn't do many interviews. I I know of one that he did. He wrote a lot of books, about 30 books. He was murdered at a pretty young age. And um, I had read um, um, several of these books, and especially his one on reincarnation called uh, The Search for Yesterday. And I wanted to do a really thorough interview. I had never read anybody who was so objective, so well-informed, so skeptical, and not only a practicing parapsychologist, but he was able to leave his body at will and, you know, participate in some of these kinds of psychic 
events. He was a highly unusual guy. So he lived up in Northridge, and it happened to be Father's Day, and my son and ex-wife were visiting me, and I took him out there, and we sat down with the tape recorder for about an hour or an hour and a half. And, you know, I asked him up front, I said, you know, after 25 years, uh, you know, what, what's your metaphysics? What's your big theory as to why we're here and, you know, what the truth is and that sort of thing? He says, you know, something I'm more con- or more confused than I was when I started out researching well, all this stuff. But I ended up, that was my, um, I think, my first big uh, interview or article in the psychic field that appeared around 1990 uh, in Fate magazine. And um, about two months after, six weeks after I interviewed him, he was murdered. And uh, it was a very strange situation. There was a a long investigation into it. Uh, I think they arrested one guy. Uh, But but the bottom line was that uh, I, to this day, I do not believe anybody wrote more definitive works on the evidence for various aspects of the supernatural. And I think almost any book that you write will prove that out. And incidentally, his first book was really wacky. It was called Phone Calls from the Dead. And he showed there seemed to be evidence that people would get these calls from people, the loved ones who had died, and they wanted to communicate something. And the phone became the means for that. So that was kind of an odd start to his wow. career. Bill is having Bill's writing a book right now about phone calls from the dead. Well, there we go. And I think Bill's back and sounding okay. I'm back. Yeah. 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 And it was. It's about Thomas Edison's last invention, in which he basically says that you can build a device that will communicate with a mass of electrons that used to be a piece of human consciousness. That was Hmm. the the invention. I mean, I'm fascinated uh, by how you reconcile what you do for um, business magazines, how you write ah. for business magazines. <laughs> well, here's the interesting thing about it. I made a point. Um, the, the, the God Reconsidered book went through a lot of adventures getting published, um, which I'm not entirely sure were of this world. I mean, the stuff that I went through was just truly bizarre. But the whole book kind of came to me in a rush after my last business book was rejected. I have a book out called Extraordinary People, and there's a website for it, extraordinarypeople.book.com. And what, so that was a killed project, apparently. I could not, I got a great agent, couldn't find a publisher for it, set it aside, and I had planned to kind of go on the road promoting this thing and writing mm-hmm. sequels. And so in the, the gap, I thought, why don't I take a moment to start thinking through these things that, that I've been thinking about and writing about for so many years and see if I can't come up with a way to explain to people why you can take a rational approach to spirituality and truth and right. get some answers. And at the end of the day, what's fascinating is I've kept the little auto-signature on my email that has both the extraordinarypeoplebook.com and godreconsidered.com, and there are a surprising number of people in the business world. I write like 100 columns a year, and I get a lot of publicists pitching me things. And they come, hey, I saw your little website there, and I wanted to talk to you about it. And there are also, I've found, most of the most enlightened business leaders are very, very 
interested in spirituality. They're either, they have a devout path of one sort or another, or they're they're pretty committed to the idea of the whole person and that, you know, and this is why, you know, all the great business leaders are very ethical. You know, they don't just think we're a collection of atoms and you want to amass the greatest amount of money. You know, pretty long before they became great CEOs, they realized that, you know, this is not the meaning of life. What you can do is create a business that will impact people more than the church will because people are going yeah, to be there five but, days a week, you know. But, but they're taking salaries that are astronomically insane compared not, to not the, the enlightened mid- ones not, not the enlightened the, ones no yeah. you'll you'll find it they some of them will be very well paid but no these the the scandalous types were you know it's a hundred times the other salary and stuff you don't find that very often the people i talk to um i did a i'm a i'm some of them i i would say all of them really truly care about their employees and the customers this is you know, Jim Collins has written a whole series of bestsellers like uh, Built to Last, Good to Great, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which shows that the difference between the number one company in a field and the number two, which is way far behind, is that the number one company ha- is passionate about a noble cause, like Merck was founded to heal the world, just to give you an example. You know, they care about people. They care about customers. The best companies are not like the rest of them, and that's why there are so few really well-run companies that, you know, treat the customers and their employees right is because they're not enlightened. And so I get to talk to the enlightened ones. I did an interview with um, Richard Branson Recently, for example, David Cote at Honeywell. But anyway, they do, uh, they, all of them have given a lot of thought. Many of them, incidentally, as a, just a side note, have degrees in philosophy. It might have been their undergraduate degree. And my son has a degree in philosophy working on his master's. And uh, I found people who study philosophy tend to be some of the most thoughtful, introspective people. Or, or secure well, you're, because well, you're they reading know they're about going, pe- Yeah, well, you're reading about people who think. I'm curious about your interview with Bill Gates in terms of spiritualism. I, I just have to ask this question. <laughs> knowing, well, let's put it this knowing, way. Uh, he, knowing the yeah. genesis of Microsoft. I mean, yeah. the real genesis. Well, I have to say, I think we would all agree that he has evolved. Uh, by the time I talked with him in 1999, the only reason I got to him was because he was being taken, his company was being taken apart by the federal government. And so he'd been somewhat humbled. And uh, and at that time, I think he was in the process of transformation by his, under the influence of his wife to, you know, more important and better things and stuff. He wasn't the guy uh, that he was earlier. Now, the funny part about it, it was kind of a crummy interview because I had like, six or eight questions I could ask him. And I had crafted a couple of them to be these meant to, you know, get big answers like, right. what will, would you do if you were the dictator of the world? And now the irony, That's a of great course, most people probably thought, I got a couple answers you know. to that one, yeah. And I the funny thing answers. is, he gave me this tiny little answer about, well, I guess I'd spend more time with my family or something like that. He was, a, he was Not my what, answer. Frank, no. Yeah, he was one of the worst interviews I've ever had, so you never know. But anyway, he has redeemed himself by going on and becoming probably 
the greatest or one of the greatest humanitarians. Well, how, how prevalent is it in business, as far as you can see, uh, in which people are actually casting spells, hiring one witch over another witch? Um, <laughs> is that happening at all or in a tiny, tiny percentage, or is that a complete myth? You mean in terms of uh, do people discriminate spiritually? No, do people hiring? actually hire? No, do people actually hire professional witches to cast uh. spells? Just like uh, <laughs> espionage, just like, uh, in, yeah. you know, we're, yeah. Okay, no, I, I, would, I would dare say that, the, um, that I would not know about that. Now, you know, I know, as we talked about, Nancy, since my wife is a witch, I know about the real thing. And frankly, most so-called witches really... They read a book by a fake witch, uh, and they dance around at the uh, holiday, pagan holidays, and you know they, they they get stoned or something. I mean, most modern witchcraft <laughs> is not really uh, legitimate to begin with. You know, there that's there what is you a, said. Yes, yeah. yeah there, yes. There's a genuine tradition, and some people have the power. And I've met some very powerful psychics and um, a, a few magicians including Sandra's teacher who she doesn't name and who is no longer with us but the bottom line is that um, I'm, I'm quite sure that people without ethics figure there's no downside let's hire a voodoo priest and you know put a hex on somebody you know but no nobody's going to talk about this stuff to me because they don't want it to end up in the newspaper you know okay the spiritual yeah. stuff there everybody's willing to talk about but in any event yes. this is somewhat self-selecting because the kind of people i get to talk to um <clears throat> Like, for example, Tony Robbins referred me to some people. I mean, they're kind of at that level where, mm -hmm. you know, they, they realize you have to lead an integrated life. A lot of them are interested in union psychology or they've been through psychotherapy. Uh, they've been to Esalen Institute, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, once you earn a lot of money, you, you know, you do realize that, wow, this is not going to make me happy because right. – Human, human homeostasis, they've done studies that show it doesn't matter if you won the lottery or you've just been put in a Holocaust camp. Basically, human nature goes back to the default calm reset of everything is okay. It's mm -hmm. not too terrible, and it's not too exciting. You buy a new car, and it gives you a high for about three months, and then it's just a car, you know. And what, why so, is this? Yeah, well, homeostasis allows us to cope with terrible things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if you, for example, let's take something that is the most common to everybody. How many of us uh, had a true love early in our life, and now we look back on it, we realize it was infatuation, but at the time when we split, or maybe a divorce, we thought it was the end of our lives, we would never find anybody else who would love us, etc., etc., well, people recover, and this is partly because we can compartmentalize our feelings, and we kind of wake up, and we learn to move on and adapt, and we find new and better things and stuff. It allows us to survive. If we didn't have that, people would be living with the horrors of their past all the time, and this is, of course, is a problem for some people, and they need, you know, but that's what psychiatrists. But that's drive. what, yes, but but that's what psychiatrists say we actually do, and so that people do live with the horrors of their past, and part of what they do is, like oysters, they, uh, 
pry them open, right? Uh, they wall right. those horrors off. Yeah. That's right. Well, yeah. They wall those horrors off so they can continue going. I mean, sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not. People with PTSD have a very yeah. tough time walling it off, but other people can. So um, a psychiatrist will say something very different from that. Yeah, but here's what I would say to that. And I went through eight years of psychotherapy. Um, and, and incidentally, if anybody wants to see how the process works, just watch HBO's In Treatment on DVD, which is a fabulous little introduction to that. But nice, what nice. I would say is I, I am not a believer. I, I disagree with Tony Robbins and many of the New Age teachers that you can just, you know, suppress things and don't bother and put them in a box and move on, you know, put a Band-Aid on it and so forth. I, I do think that... For most people, it's better to go in and have the psychic surgery of dealing with traumas of the past and let them surface and confront them, and you can go through a healing process. It is not easy to do, and in some cases like PTSD, you know, it takes more than cognitive behavioral therapy. It probably takes drugs and, you know, many years of treatment. Um, but, but, I'm talking, but can I interject also yeah. the kind of drugs that I'm sure you've done a lot of study on that that promise great hope. Uh, it's a one-time treatment sometimes of something called ayahuasca in which you're going to face your demons and you will heal from within and it will fix you. But And there's other drugs that are not so severe. Pardon? No, I no, I wasn't referring to that. I've had I've gone through ayahuasca, yeah. and it was a very profound experience. No, I was talking about mainstream drugs uh, that psychiatrists will prescribe. All I'm all I'm saying is this: for kind of ordinary non PTSD type situations, people who weren't necessarily sexually traumatized early on, and so forth, for most ordinary human experience, uh, you can the the homeostasis uh, of human nature allows us to kind of move on so that a lot of kind of ordinary painful experiences fade into the background. I mean, you know, I think most of us would say most of our so-called early loves were just infatuation. We weren't uh, compatible and it's a good thing we didn't get married, you know, and or in some cases divorce was the best thing that ever happened to us. So I'm just saying, you know, that uh, people can recover. And uh, But this is actually, this homeostasis concept is actually uh, explains also why people are not more skeptical about mainstream religion because hmm. they don't really want to know everything. They are okay with not mm-hmm. knowing all that much. They're okay with a smaller world and figuring that, you know something, life is pretty good for me, I don't have all the answers to the mysteries, and not everything makes sense, but it kind of keeps people stupid and happy on one level, and, uh, you know, that's what I warn people about, don't get into this unless you really are willing to face some literal demons. Well, that's exactly what Angel was saying at the beginning half hour, that his his yep. objection to religion is, it's kind of just for stupid people to keep them happy. Um, but the, but the, in the case of the Catholic Church, I can remember to, I can swear to you that we were told not to think for ourselves. To think for yourself what, right. is to That's listen to the devil. But is to listen to Nancy. No, it's not I know. They want the collective mind to believe what they want you to believe. That's the interesting it. thing about the Catholic yes. Church is that, um, the Catholic Church is one of the few religions that has a, kind of a legitimate claim 
in the struggle over the truth because uh, if you go back and look at Scott Rogo's Miracles, for example, I mean, he even has a photograph in there from Zaytun, Egypt, of the Virgin Mary apparition. Um, and in the case of Fatima, I believe it was, there were 40,000 witnesses, and that included a lot of atheists. Um, and, you know, they, they have these uh, 100 uh, saints whose bodies... Uh, were ne never decomposed, called the incorruptibles. In other words, St. Teresa, who levitated. There are many, um, let's see, uh, the, um, the uh, stigmata of St. Francis and others. There is a supernatural element. There are spirits in a shamanistic universe that I believe in who want to promote certain religions. The religion I grew up in, Mormonism, has many supernatural manifestations. And the whys and wherefores make for an interesting debate. What I do in the book, rather than concentrating on, you know, whether Catholicism is a fraudulent cult to just to control people and keep them stupid, or whether it is actually, you know, God's true religion with supernatural manifestations, I go more to look at the logic of the theology and the philosophy uh, to see whether it really makes sense in terms of what we know about the world and history and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, Catholicism is a, a contentious uh, field. But, you know, C Carl Jung did say one thing, that he said the Catholic Mass has real psychic energy. He grew up as mm -hmm. a, a Lutheran, and but he came to have a great deal of respect for the Mass, and the Gnostics have a Mass. And I've had it on good authority that if you're psychic, you can see the energy build up during the Mass. And I assume it's like a magic ritual, and it probably uh, happens in the Catholic performance, too. I'm well, guessing. I would like to ask you what I also talked about in the first half hour, which something that has confounded me, because lately I've been reading on the Internet um, a little bit about witchcraft, because it's always been a forbidden subject. As a Catholic, mm -hmm. you're not even supposed to touch it anywhere. Yep. And so in reading about it, the number one thing that hops out at me is in paganism, in the old religion, in Wicca, I guess, you're expected to uh, worship uh, a deity that ha manifests as both a god and a goddess, they are equal, or some cases, sometimes the goddess has its has her moments. Yeah, but, but that's not even that's not even only only that religion, Nancy. That goes even deeper than that. Even in like, for example, in Africa, uh, voodoo tribes, they wouldn't worship a woman or a female. They would literally convert saints into male figures because they really? don't want to worship a woman. Uh, Shango, who's a in a voodoo, saint. yeah, it's Shang look, Shango is a, a, a is like a, a, a spirit, I guess, mm. or a, a saint uh, in voodoo. Uh, Shango is a representation of, uh, of I think it's a bar the Virgin Mary, but they don't want to call it a woman, so they or it could be a different. It's a female deity. So and how do you come to know about Santeria? But isn't that Santeria? Santeria, I'm sorry, yeah, Santeria. It's Santeria, okay. yeah. Yeah, Santeria. Uh, I am Latin, Nancy, so I, can't, I I know a little bit about that stuff because you kind of grew up around that culture <laughs> when you're. Latin yeah, community. I went on my on my trip to Havana in 1998. I went through a Santeria ceremony, as a matter yeah. of fact. So, yeah, it's. I will say to kind of answer your your broader question about paganism and so forth. But how, how accurate but, was that, though? Yeah. Before you continue, Scott, was that pretty accurate that they would literally convert female deities to male just because they don't want to worship a woman? 
Yeah, you mean the Catholics coming along and kind of trying to uh, get no. a high No, the voodoo people. No, no, the, the Santeria religion itself, I mean, they still do that. Chango is one of their saints, and they literally it's a representation of a female figure into a male figure. Yeah, yeah, but remember, Santeria is kind of a Crazy. concocted, yes. <laughs> a concocted blend, uh, a reaction to Western religion. And, right. You know, it's 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 an effort to kind of make it more palatable. You know, take a kind of a voodoo like culture and right. in a, in a way kind of Christianize it. You know, so that's well, it, why it comes very, directly from voodoo from Africa. I mean, that's where it comes from. Santeria, all that comes from yeah. voodoo. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, listen. You know, if you look at Viking religion and, you know, a lot of pagan religions, in fact, the current Viking series uh, on, I guess it's FX or something. Um, right. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. It, you, know, the, the, you know, nobody should think that paganism overall uh, was necessarily more pro-women or more... Uh, gentle or anything like that if you look at the bigger picture. However, um, you know, you can certainly argue that early Judaism uh, had its feminine Sophia type of Mm -hmm. uh, hidden wisdom aspect and that early Christianity did not have to turn into the patriarchal version. I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, celibacy was not part of the early church. Yeah, and, fact, and the character no, of Mary no, no, has, has uh, been turned into a villain, the character right, uh, of uh, nor, Mary uh, Magdalene. Would, yeah, and nor would celibacy have been turned into... That's right. He's absolutely rabbi. Right. He would yes, have been expected. Oh. He would have been expected to be rabbi and have children. That was a requirement. Yeah. That would have been a requirement right, right. for Jesus. Right. There have been, you know, there have been arguments made, uh, some pr- more provocative and interesting than most people realize that, uh, you know, that Jesus may have <clears throat> been married, and, and a lot of Gnostics believe that. However, um, with regard to paganism in general, um, certainly Sandra's deity was feminine. It was a, a Tibetan goddess. And she worked in a certain kind of formal, kind of traditional magic circle and that sort of thing. And and I would say in general, kind of the New Age Wicca certainly is predominantly a feminist and goddess-oriented culture. The, The biggest problem with modern witchcraft is it doesn't really have historical roots. It is kind of made up from things here or there. And this is one reason it's not very authentic. I mean, there are, as I found looking for Fate Magazine, trying to find legitimate psychics, there are legitimate witches out there with supernatural power, but there are very, very, very few of them, just as there are very few legitimate psychics. And I've met some of the best, but had to sort through uh, a big haystack to find those needles. Right, and and you yourself have had personal experiences with Yuri Geller, and he actually bent a key in your presence. Well, here's presence. a funny thing. You know, James Randi, the amazing yeah. Randi, who wrote, 
I prepared for my interview with Rory Geller by reading Randy's book about him. I thought, right. let's go to the ultimate skeptical source, see what he has to say, Good and idea. challenge Rory with this stuff. So um, Randy said, look, at what he does is he'll ask you to write something on a piece of paper, and he'll look at how the top of your pencil is moving to figure out what you're doing. So uh, that was one of his tricks, he said. So the way I countered that was I went in the other room, turned my back, and wrote a little thing, and uh, re-guessed the exact size of it and another little thing that I did on the circle. So I was impressed. But then later, standing about 100 feet away from us, um, according to Randy, what he does is he touches your key and he has a chemical on his finger, and that's what causes it to bend. Uh, and he was 100 feet away. He never saw the key. We held up an old house key, and we saw the thing bend. Furthermore, mm-hmm. Sandra knew the guy who brought Uri to this country. Puharic? Uh, yeah, Andre, Andrea Paharic, and she was a, a good friend of somebody else who brought over. Uh, and so she she had other ways of checking Ori out. And Ori, incidentally, made a fortune when we knew him in the late 90s. Um, he had made a fortune by working for companies, uh, identifying uh, gold and silver uh, mines uh, where they could, you know, dig up stuff. He made oil uh, sites and things like that. So yeah, he's he's the real thing. But one thing you learn about psychics, and this is something Scott Rogo told me. He said yeah. the problem yeah. with psychic ability is that it's like a bad electrical connection. You know, the skeptics think, oh, if you're legitimate, you're on all the time. But I mm-hmm. have it uh, from several good sources that. They can't control when it comes on, and mm-hmm. uh, quite often they found when people are kind of have a very harsh skeptical attitude, it does interfere with their ability to focus and practice it. And uh, so it is hard to prove these things. But Geller did go through the SRI. Uh, right, and Rogo testing. basically he actually destroyed Randy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, but unfortunately, nobody reads Rogo, but they read Randy, who continues to propagate his fraudulent ideas. I mean, you know, I just it, – it, it, one reason I wrote the book is I wanted to finally kind of uh, crystallize some examples of how dishonest these people are. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, can you tell us how he was murdered? Because does it play into this, the, the paranormal at all? No. Um, it He um, – he knew some guy. I, I, as I recall, I think it was believed that it was um, an argument, maybe a robbery. Of, it was somebody he knew. Uh, I don't think it was. Uh, there, there was an attempt to bring some psychics into this, and I don't think all the details were finally uh, uh, resolved. Um, I had written an early article for Fate Magazine, and for some strange reason, because they had their own theories, they messed with the article, and uh, my version of what happened using psychics and so forth to try to discern uh, what happened with the murder uh, was edited out without my permission, and then they they stuck my name on it, yeah. And um, I had a couple of other things like that, but um, but anyway, you know, I... But never, uh, never in yeah. UFO Magazine, I bet you. 
No, 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 no. The only time I had a problem in UFO magazine was once when um, Vicki uh, Ecker assigned me to do a story about a very, very sensational story down in Florida about a guy who claimed to see UFOs and stuff like that. And I had no... Oh, Ed... What was it? We're sort of, I think we're losing Bill, yeah. Was that the Gulf? Ed Waters. Ed Ed Waters. Ed Waters. Yes, yes, Ed Waters. The Gulf Priest, the Gulf Priest, right? Yeah, the Gulf Priest story, right. So I was told to take my little investigative cap and put it on and figure out whether he was telling the truth. And I said, Vicki, you've got to promise to print this thing no matter what I come to, because she was very skeptical. Well, I went in deep, and I investigated it and tried to look at it objectively, and I had a two-part story in which I provided the evidence that I thought he was telling the truth. Now, that provoked a furious response from one of the skeptics down there, but I said, Mm -hmm. guys... You know, you had your chance to make your case against him. I read everything that you guys wrote about him. I looked at it. And what the funny part about investigating supernatural stuff is that it's amazing how many times you can come to the truth or as close as a mortal mind can just by following the trail. See mm-hmm. what one person says, go back to the other, see what they say, and go back and forth. Because almost inevitably, one of them is so committed to a particular theory that they're going to distort the evidence and they're not going to address the issues. And that's what happened in this case. And uh, so bottom line was um, she was not happy with the result, but she did print it. I'll give her that credit. Because and, uh, she wanted it not to be true? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, she was very skeptical about, uh, she thought he was a fraud, but that's one reason why she was motivated to assign me. She figured I would right, come right. up with the goods. But well, and you, and yeah. you read Maccabee's, Maccabee's reports on yeah. all this, right? And you yeah, know through, about the, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, you're I read, on the right I read side everything. of history. I read everything there was on yes. all of this when I, when I wrote the thing, and I really didn't have a theory. Now, the funny thing is, one of the probably the well the biggest story I ever wrote for UFO magazine was the result of uh, my story that I I was paid for by Los Angeles magazine on UFOs in LA. Right. And it was a really extraordinary article because um you know we got people on record about some pretty amazing stuff and just as it was it had already been accepted and edited ready to go to press we were going to have an october issue for halloween with this right. and just then uh they had printed a an article kind of a, a rather nasty criticism of uh eisner at disney and disney owned abc which owned los angeles magazine the editors got fired and the new editor who came on was the editor of w the women's fashion magazine right and he said you know essentially my idea of an expose is you know what the fall fashion line is going to be several months ahead of time so he said this doesn't really fit with my editorial right and and what year was this scott and this was um Let's see, this would have been about 1997 um, when uh, my editors were fired and I was handed back the manuscript, paid and told, 
you know, good luck where you can find it. And, uh, of course, nobody else would touch the thing. So that's how I ended up in UFO magazine. Well, you know, I, I now have at least a physical copy, if not a digital copy, of every issue. So I can scan that article in and maybe make it available since you've got the copyright. on As a magazine, if the magazine goes um, defunct, the copyrights re, 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 um, revert. 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 No, right? but standard, no, but as of... No, but it, uh, back in uh, 1997, back in those years, just during our tenure. Um... Come on, Bill. Let it go. Come we on. lost and... him again. That's really bad. Come on, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it probably didn't. I, I have the exact. <laughs> yeah, I have the exact date here. It probably didn't appear until like 2000 or, you know, something like that. I, I have to go back and look at it. And, yeah. and I have actually a Word version of it here that I occasionally... Nice. That would save a lot of way, typing. We're, we're way over on our break, Nancy. Uh, okay, so, okay, so let's do a break. So, if, so I'm back here. So let's just say that we are going to... I'm coming uh, upstairs during the break, so get ready. I'm going to look at your I'm machine. Not gonna, no, I am not going to uh, uh, restart. I've got okay. too much stuff open. Yeah, uh, at least we start Skype. Yeah, at least we start. Start saving. I'm coming up. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Right. We'll be back <laughs> after these messages on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. Stick with us, folks, with our guest Scott Smith. phenomenon either we like it or not is already very much part of our reality i've been on panels with uh, military people who you know claim that they've seen the aliens buzzing our missile silos they have very large eyes and you know i found their stare extremely difficult to bear this is martin willis the host of podcast ufo and we are here on the dark matter radio network every wednesday from 8 p.m to 10 p.m eastern standard time it is my commitment to bring you an entertaining weekly show that takes a hard look at the UFO phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial? Well, are they interdimensional? Are they time travelers or something we have not even thought of yet? We explore these questions with interesting guests and witnesses from all around the globe. In addition, we bring you weekly UFO news with Open Minds TV, Alejandro Rojas. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep your eyes to the sky. James Swagger, host of Capricorn Radio. I'm also an author, engineer, and researcher. Capricorn Radio covers alternative history, alternative science, philosophy, and truth-oriented discussions. We are proud to be on the Dark Matter Radio Network, live at 8 p.m. Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch extra info on darkmatterradio.net, jameswagger.com for yours truly, CapricornMembers.com for the archives. Don't forget, truth is not democratic. Truth is truth. Hello, my name is Howard Hughes, and I'm in London, and I've been proud to bear this name all my life. 
Over here in the UK, I'm known as a broadcast journalist. I've been involved in some of the big stories of our time. The fall of the Berlin Wall. The death of Princess Diana. I told London about that. And on the first and second anniversaries of 9-11, I was there at Ground Zero, speaking to the people who were directly involved and those experiences I will never forget. So news is my thing. But my great love is my show, the one that I produce, The Unexplained. Over the years on this show, I've spoken to people like the late Al Bielik from the Philadelphia Experiment, Edgar Mitchell, the amazing Apollo astronaut, Dr. Stephen Greer, David Icke, and Uri Geller. People like Richard C. Hoagland have become personal friends over the years. I met him in London. So you can see that these sort of topics are what I like to discuss. Please join me on my show from London, The Unexplained, Monday nights on the Dark Matter Network. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. back for the last segment of Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. We are your co-hosts, Bill and Nancy Burns, and our guest is the great Scott Smith uh, talking about his two books, um, God Re- uh, basically God Reconsidered, and I'm curious about The Soul of a Pet, Scott. I have to ask mm-hmm. you, what prompted you to write that, and what level of research did you undertake for that? Yeah, I, that actually came out of my interview with Scott Rogo because <clears throat> I had been reading near-death experiences and I noticed that there were no animals in them. Nobody said, oh, I went over there and I saw my pet collie and that sort of thing. Right. So I said, you know, I know Mormonism believes that animals have souls, but, you know, what? A, and of course Hinduism, but is there any real evidence from these kind of paranormal research or experiences that would uh, validate that. And he said, well, he said, I was just studying something about a young boy who died and temporarily and came back and he talked about having been over there with some of his pets. 
So I kind of used that as the jumping off point. I sent letters out to veterinary magazines, of all things, and to some pet magazines and said, if any readers have a story that they think is credible in some way, not just, oh, I think I saw my pet as a ghost on Halloween or something, right, right. send me the story. The astonishing thing is I got about, oh, maybe 200 that came in, and many of them said, I have never had a paranormal supernatural experience before, but here's what happened. And there were some pretty convincing cases. And uh, I put about 125 in this book. There's a book um, by another author called Animal Afterlife that's coming out with a revised version that has some of the others that I didn't publish. But the bottom line of The Soul of Your Pet is that, again, if you simply use logic and you look at things carefully, you can find um, some elements of these things that are credible. A good example is... Most people would think that the reason people see their dead pet ghost is because of wishful thinking. You know, they wanted their colleague or their cat to come back, and and that would be normal. The funny thing is, most of the stories did not involve people's own companion animals. It was a Mm. neighbor's dog that they saw running around the yard. They mentioned it to the owner who was puzzled. She said, oh, that dog died two weeks ago. Or... Uh, They came to the door of somebody's house, knocked on it, saw a dog there on the other side of the screen, mentioned it to the owner. They said, oh, that dog hasn't been around for years, you know. And one of them was a veterinary professor at Purdue University, and she used to work near my home in Thousand Oaks, and she was once called out to treat a horse. And when she went to the corral, she said, you, she got kind of the background on the, the ill horse. She said, listen, you're going to have to separate this horse before I treat him from that white horse because I don't want the other horse to get infected. And they said, what horse? And she described it. And they said, oh, that horse died, you know, a few months mm-hmm. ago. And, you know, this is a veterinarian not expecting to go out to see a, a, a ghost horse. But this is fairly typical, and I even huh. have stories in there about animals reacting, living animals reacting to ghost animals. So it's not simply human imagination. So all dogs do get to go to heaven. Yes. Well, some of them might go to hell, for all we know. There's some bad That's ones that I've had, sorry. but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I say, and, th- and I say this about human beings, too. The only sure evidence is that the higher animals and human beings survive. What happens after that is a case of the seers who are feeling the cosmic elephant. Because I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with George Anderson, the great psychic medium, who certainly probably... Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, of course. Okay, well, he's a believer in reincarnation. I'm a skeptic for reasons that I explain in my book. But he once asked the spirits, uh, is reincarnation true? And they said, well, we've heard about it. Now, if you're dead and you don't know if there's reincarnation, the odds are... That it's probably a real mystery, and it's not for the recently dead or mortals to know well, about. Well, Scott, so. you you seem to have suggested earlier that in the other realm there actually are flavors or religious adherents 
who yeah. might yeah. be so. In other words, there are religions in the afterlife, basically, and different yeah, they, schools of thought. Um, oh, what what I believe I mean, they, based on uh, and and Mormons have this concept. Mormonism, incidentally, there's a fascinating book by a friend of mine, uh, Mark Colt Cole Rivera, called "The Rise of the Mormons." in which he makes a very persuasive case that Mormonism will be the next great world religion for a number of reasons, partly because of its culture and partly because of the supernatural manifestations around it and partly because it has a truly brilliant philosophy. And one of the things it says is everybody will get a chance in the hereafter to make spiritual progress. There is no hell as Christian religions traditionally conceive it. And human nature does not greatly change. Just because you're dead, you still have the same personality. You're going to want to hang with the people that are like you. And you're going to be somewhat more enlightened, but you're going to basically, people will still stick to their various philosophies. And uh, Sounds like Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> that is hmm. no answer. Right Interesting there. analogy so. there. Yeah, so the hereafter is not this uh, totally radical change. It's a different dimension. And, but, uh, and the lower spirits, if you will, uh, aren't going to know about some of the higher realms. So, you know, again, I, my position is that I have a pretty clear understanding of our earthly predicament because I believe the Gnostic philosophy is the only one that explains it. But I don't believe the Gnostic seers or the Mormons, Catholics, Buddhists, or anybody else truly understands what happens after we survive death. Uh, It's possible that some people come back and reincarnate because of a desire to go back into the body. Reincarnation karma doesn't make any sense from the standpoint of trying to make progress, spiritual progress. But I will say that I I do believe that the Mormons are right, that there is spiritual progress open to all in the hereafter. But don't you think that um, Einstein's special theory of relativity, right? No matter is really destroyed. It's simply converted to energy. That was Edison's. That's how Edison approached his last invention. So Mm -hmm. don't you think that if that's the case, that and we are all being recombined on a on a a cyclical basis that there is a premise that there is reincarnation just not in the same form or shape well scott rogo would be would be somewhat inclined to go along with that because if you read uh, the search for yesterday which is a very thorough debunking of conventional reincarnation thinking especially american version you know, the new age notion that you're born again so that you can have great experiences and advance right. spiritually and all this kind of thing. It, it, that doesn't make any sense. Now, uh, a more Buddhist type, which most Buddhists don't believe in, incidentally, you know, as uh, Ken Wilber, the great American religious philosopher, said, people don't seem to quite grasp, not even Buddhists, that Buddha taught that there is no soul that the only thing that might come back is magnetized set of karma. There's no personality, no memory. Okay, that Scott Rogo could kind of go along with. He, he felt that at the time of death, 
certain memories might be picked up and, and this sort of thing. But that's um, the second time you used that word, by the way. The first time what? was when you were ta- the magnetized. The first uh, time was when you were talking about your mystic experience. Yeah, you yeah. actually used that word. Yeah. Well, this is this, this magnetized karma. I think is either Scott Rugg or Ken Wilber's phrase. Uh, but but the point is, there's no there's no soul in pure conservative Buddhism. Mahayana Buddhism, which is what most people adhere to, uh, does tend to, you know, believe in gods and souls and, you know, you can go into the hereafter and stuff like that. The most controversial chapter in my entire book is not the one on Christianity, surprisingly enough. It's the one on Buddhism because really? I'm very... I'm very critical of it because I think too many Americans see it as this uh, wonderful new agey kind of solution to everything that doesn't believe in good or evil and blah, blah, blah. I think it has a lot of holes in it, which I explain. I'm much more sympathetic to the main body of Hinduism. I've been to India, and I know the Hare Krishna people uh, very well. And the, the idea, the, the belief in what you would call deity Hinduism, I think, uh, makes some sense. And their version of reincarnation is simply, you know, not that you're going to come back as Cleopatra or something, but that uh, you may be drawn back from, by desire. And this is not a desirable world, but over time you have an opportunity to advance. But it's, a, it's kind of an unending cycle. Yeah, but to be fair... Would, you know, to yeah. be fair, you you pretty much take every religion out in in your book. You basically chapter seven. What what are the problems with Buddhism, yeah. Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, yeah. and Christianity? And so you're you're a you're a equal opportunity uh, <laughs> critic. Yeah, yeah, but basically. see, yes, and that's the result of my own search. You know, I went trying to find what the truth might be and what would make sense. And, and it's an explanation of the problems I found. And I got very annoyed with the fact that, you know, I hung out with many, you know, I was a founder of Vegetarian World, which was a, a 1970s predecessor of Vegetarian Times, which I sold yeah. my paper to. So I was, you know, right there at Esalen with the, the New Age thing and all this stuff. And, you know, I was a spiritual searcher and I was very, very disappointed to find that the Eastern religions really weren't any more enlightened or sensible than the Western ones for reasons I explained. Now, people can argue with me, and I have a Facebook uh, page right on GodReconsidered.com where I've debated people and, and I've done interviews and other shows where I've discussed it. But I, one thing about my book is I make a very clear logical argument as to why I don't think these philosophies work. And people can disagree with me. And I, you know, when I talked to my parents about these things originally, like 25 years ago, they said, you know something, we understand why you're disillusioned with Mormonism, but we're people of faith. And we think when we die, we will find out what the truth is. And we're okay with that. And I understand Mm -hmm. that. And I, you know, honor other people that don't want to pursue the truth like I do. But this book is not meant to keep people happy. It's meant to disturb mm-hmm. people. So uh, readers well, forewarned. <laughs> right. You have a forewarning instead of a forward. Um, do, do you uh, name a religion as your own these days? Yes. There actually is. Um, I am a Gnostic Christian. And in the last few chapters of the book, I explain why. But the essence of it is, and there, there is actually Ecclesia Gnostica, which is a, one of a number 
of Gnostic churches right here in Los Angeles. And uh, there, there are quite a number in France and Britain and so forth. Uh, I believe Gnosticism provides a very sensible understanding of the origin of the world and the destiny. And I base this partly on my mystical experience and partly on having studied all these other religions. And again, I've traveled the world. I've talked to leaders and uh, looked at these things pretty objectively because I didn't know where I was going, quite frankly. Um, it won't be to everybody's liking, particularly the Christian part of it. I mean, basically Gnostics mm -hmm. are Christian mystics, but I think it provides uh, the kind of spiritual path that many people need, and I think everybody should have some kind of philosophical if not religious or spiritual path, you, you need an overarching mm -hmm. way to explain the meaning of life. If you don't mm -hmm. have that, then you get into big trouble, as I did in my life. My personal life started falling apart once I lost my childhood faith. So it's not mm -hmm. for everybody, and I reveal what I think at the end of the book. There is, as I said, a chapter at God Reconsidered. Right now it's on UFOs, and in the next few days we're going to change it to the Christianity one uh, well wow. and people people <laughs> wow. yeah that'll stir up some trouble but yeah. people are free to comment on my facebook page anything they want to say i will respond to everybody and but this is you know this is the book is the result of a really really careful effort to try to figure out what's true not just what i want to believe or you know make people feel good and with that, it is time for us to go. So I want to thank um, Scott Smith. This has really been very enlightening. I really appreciate your coming on the show. Uh, we're very happy to uh, be talking about this stuff. Uh, we are um, at the end of our hour. So so from... I want to talk about next, next week we have Jesse Randolph, Jesse UFO Not Radio. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's good. And, and coming up is Art Bell, so folks should stay tuned for Midnight oh. Desert. And I, I can tell you, Art's guest tonight, without course, going to Belgab. Well, go. this is going to be a, this is going to be heavy, and I, I would like to hear Scott's op opinion of the show after. We only have twenty seconds, so go. Ralph Sarchi, a cop. He's a New York sprung about demonism, about he's oh, investigated fuck. demon cases and stuff. And so, please, Scott, we'll be in in touch in email. I hope. So yeah. stay yeah. tuned. I, I believe in demons. Yes. Uh, next show. So, next show. Okay, so stay tuned. Stay tuned for Midnight in the Desert. We are your co-hosts, Bill. It's me and Nancy. Good night. Burns are broadcasting live on Future Theater on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. And we will see everybody next week. Slowly I become.